Imagine uh, that single word, watch. That's the spirit of, of this time of Advent. Um, and maybe we get into it when we look at little children and we talk about that man with the beard and the red clothes that comes down chimneys and things, you know. I won't say the word because we'll get some of them excited right now. But all the parents have to say, he's coming, he's coming soon. And they all get excited. <clears throat> and somehow we're supposed to capture that in this experience of Advent. So the church helps us. We change colors. It's a kind of a penitential time or <clears throat> a time at least looking into our lives and our hearts and preparing. Perhaps it's going to confession during Advent. Um, it's the time of the Advent wreath, and the church uh, tries to excite us by each week adding a little more light as we come to celebrate Christ the light come into our lives in um, Christmas Day. <clears throat> and actually, Advent, most people say there's two comings of Christ we're looking at. The first coming, the birth of Jesus Christ, and the second coming, when he comes at the end of time, um, the final judgment, which we celebrate in the gospel last week. But really, there's something in the middle. And this is the one I think that's most important. These are kind of illusory. I mean, we look backward 2,000 years to celebrate a birthday 2,000 years ago. And it's, it's precious to us, but it's 2,000 years ago. We can't recreate it or make it happen again. We remember it <clears throat> in celebration. And as far as the second coming of Christ at the end of time, it could be tonight or tomorrow. It could be 500,000 years from now. We don't know. So <clears throat> to prepare for that, I mean, to tell the world, be, be ready for 500,000 years, I mean, what is this? It's kind of illusory. But in the middle, it's kind of like that commercial, where's the beef? If you go buy a hamburger, where's the beef? Who wants just two buns? That doesn't cut it. So the beef is here. The beef is meeting Christ right now, in this hour, in this minute. And not just while we're in church, but all day long in many different ways. That's what Advent is really asking us to do. We do it by celebrating the past and the future so that we come back to the present and live it to the fullest and have that excitement of children waiting for Christmas Day and waiting for Santa to bring those gifts. Now, the first reading today from Isaiah is almost like telling God what to do and tempting God. Say, yeah, we're sinners, we know it, and, and, and you maybe need to punish us, but Lord, we need you. And we need your salvation. We need, we need you to give us that life. And it's kind of a pleading and even a pushing and pulling of God to bring it about. And then, as a response to that, we say those, sing those words again and again. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. Hmm. And then in the second reading... Paul writes a letter to Christians, some of whom perhaps <clears throat> had met Jesus when he was on earth, certainly met many of the apostles, and uh, these Corinthians are new to faith, have come to embrace Christ, and, and, and he encourages them with this letter and tells them, you know, you are so blessed because you know Christ in your lives, and, and you're continuing to live the faith. But the gospel is the one that brings us Back to the beef. Where's the beef? Lord, where are you in my life? How are you in my life? What should be happening in me because of you? 
because of my love for you and my awareness of your presence. There's so many ways that we meet Christ, and we come to the Eucharist, and we come, first of all, listen to the Word. We meet the Word of God, the Word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. And then we come to Eucharist sacrament, and we actually eat, eat the presence of Christ, take it into our bodies so that we can feel Christ as a, as a kind of a nourishment for our spirit, a new life for our spirit. But there are many other ways. Of, for example, Paul also says in the letter to the Corinthians, you then, you then, all of you, are the body of Christ. And that was made even more apparent last weekend in that gospel when Jesus is sitting on his throne at the end of time in Matthew, and he separates the sheep from the goats. And he tells the sheep, Come into the kingdom, come into my glory forever, because I was hungry, you fed me, thirsty, you gave me drink, naked, you clothed me, ill or in prison, you visited me, etc. And they said, when, Lord, when did we do that to you? And he said, when you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, not the best, not the most, not my friends, not my family, the least. When you did it to the least, you did it to me, the body of Christ. And then he said to the goats last week, you know where you can go, and you're going to go there for all eternity. Because I was hungry, you didn't feed me. Thirsty, you didn't give me drink. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Ill, or sick, in, in, in prison, you didn't visit me, etc. And they say, Lord, surely we would have done that for you. When didn't we do that for you? And he said, when you didn't do it to the least of my brothers and sisters. In the Eucharistic prayer, I'm going to pray with you today, the second one. After the consecration, there's a, a blessing prayer, a, a few of them actually, and one of them says, thanks Jesus for letting, us, for letting us minister to him. And I think that connects so perfectly to that gospel last week, that we minister to Jesus the Christ when we minister to one another, especially when we minister to the least, because Jesus identifies with the least. So, I would say that he also identifies with the least in us. And what does that mean? Well, I think one of the splendid places where we meet Christ is when we meet Christ in our own sinfulness, in our inadequacy. I mean, most of us were raised, especially if the, we adults, raised to think that we had to be perfect or try to be perfect, and that's when God was real to us. Well, Christ comes to us in our weakness and our sin. I mean, that sacrament of reconciliation, confession, what do we do? We come to confess our sin so that the mercy of God will touch us and heal us. What a gift. We confess our sin to be healed by God's love. And we expect that and we receive it. Sacramentally, we believe that. But what if we went a step further? And we didn't just confess our sin and receive absolution, but we actually explored our sinfulness. For example, let's say we're an angry person. One example. We're always angry, and people even say it to us. Why are you so angry? I'm not angry. <laughs> really. Uh, why? Well, what if we looked at that and, and said, hmm, why do people keep saying that? And, you know, I, I yelled back at them. I guess I am angry. And then we began to explore it and say, you know, God, that, that's a sinful brokenness in me. That's no way to live. Where's my hope? Where's my peace? 
Where's my sense of your love lifting me up, guiding me? So we explore our sinfulness, this anger, this brokenness, this inadequacy, and we begin to say, Christ, come into it. Christ, come into it. Give me your light. Give me your peace. Love me. Heal me. Maybe we say that gospel, or that, that responsorial uh, verse, Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. I was going to say this in the end mass, but I'll say it here. In that little verse from the psalm response, listen to what we say. Lord, make us turn to you. Who are we to tell God what to do? Lord, make us turn to you. But it's almost a desperate plea. I, I just can't live without you in my life. Cannot live if I'm not going to look to you or for you. But we go on. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face. Now, biblically, what should happen if we look at the face of God? Anyone? What's supposed to happen if we look at the face of God? Biblically. We die. We die. You know the story of Exodus. It says it many times in the Bible. Can't look at the face of God. It's too great. It's too much. He won't kill us, but we can't take it in. It's like, don't look at the sun directly. You'll go blind. Is it because the sun wants to blind us? No, but it's just too much. We can't do it. So if you ever saw the story of the Ten Commandments, and by the way, if any of you have kids that have never seen it, show it to them. Go on to Netflix or wherever it's, wherever it's at and bring it onto the tube, okay? And in the story, which is told pretty well and very visually, Moses is at uh, Mount Horeb and he sees this light at the mountain and he says to the tribe that he has come and, to and married into, actually, he says, what's that light up there? And they said, oh, that's where God dwells. He says, really? I, I must go up and examine that light. And he says, no, no, you can't, you can't. If you ever go up to that light and look at God in the face, you'll die. And he says, psh, no, I'm going. So he goes. And when he gets there, he comes upon this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed by the flames. It just keeps being on fire. And then God's voice speaks from this bush. And he immediately falls on the ground. And God says, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And he covers his face because now... He believes what they've been telling him. You can't look at the face of God. You'll die. So God says what he says to him, tells me he wants to free his people and all. And when he comes down from the mountain, how curious, his face is glowing with light coming from the inside. How many people have seen this, by the way? Okay, you're familiar with it. You should all watch it. And he's glowing, and the people are so afraid because this is what they say. You can't look at the face of God. But they because you'll die, but they said, you can't even look at the face that looked at the face. That's how scary this is. So they made him cover his face with a cloth. And in the story uh, of Exodus, every day or week, <clears throat> he would go into the tent to communicate with God. And when he'd come out, his face would be glowing, and they'd say, cover your face. We can't look at the face that looked at the face, or we'll die. So how curious that we sang this, I don't know how many times, eight or ten times, Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face, and we shall be saved. We shall be saved. So, what if this Advent, in preparation for the past 
feast of Christmas 2,000 years ago, or the coming of Christ at the end of time, tonight, tomorrow, or 500,000 years, who knows. But what if right now, in not just this hour, this minute, and not just this hour, but different hours during the day, and maybe even when we confront a little bit of our sinfulness, or we deal with the least, the least in our lives, and like last week's gospel, we, we decide to be sheep-like with Christ and, and care for and love the, the least. What if we did that all during this Advent? And what if, if we forget, we come in and then next week we light two candles? And if we forget, next week we light three, and the third one is that pink one. Laudate Sunday, that we, we, we rejoice because Christmas is almost here. And maybe by the fourth candle, which this year is actually the day before Christmas. In fact, it's Monday, but we even have a Christmas Mass at 10 o'clock that night. So what if it takes the four candles, the last day of Advent, the fourth Sunday, and we finally say, Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face for we shall be saved. And if we open up to that more and more and more and more week after week after week after week, perhaps we will have a very, very different Christmas this year. Perhaps we'll meet Christ in some ways that we never have before.